We're still in chapter 18, but we're in section 3. I think we, we didn't make it to section 3, correct, last Wednesday? We just got to 2. Well, you do have to back up to 2 just real quickly at the first of the paragraph so I can remind you of the second sentence. It talks about our, we're talking about assurance now, assurance of our faith, assurance of our salvation. And it says this is an infallible assurance of faith. And I told you that word infallible comes from several words that means not able to deceive or to be deceived. So what, what, are, what the writers are trying to say here is that, because they do say, people who are not saved can be deceived into thinking they're saved. But saved people cannot be deceived in, by assurance. If God gives assurance, it's not a deception. Uh, for the people of God. And I think that's an important thing that they're trying to lay out there. And then, so I wanted to point that out because section three starts back with that. So it says in section two, our assurance is an infallible assurance of faith. But then section three begins, this infallible assurance that cannot be deceived is not such an essential part of faith that it is always fully experienced alongside faith. Now, I, in reading this week, I discovered that most people consider that sentence among the most controversial in all of this confession. Because people say, wait a minute. What are, it's, it's supposed to be infallible assurance of faith, but now you're saying, but it's not an essential part of faith. And it goes on to maybe explain a little bit. But true believers may wait a long time and struggle with many difficulties before obtaining it. So, and it's so interesting that this has come for me, that this study is perfectly aligned with this weekend and what I've got to do on Saturday because the man that passed is a new believer. He only came to faith in the last year or so once he found out he had the disease that he had, and he, he was, it, was a, it was a terminal diagnosis. Um, after talking with pastors and uh, people sharing the gospel with him, I wasn't there. I don't know all the details. But when I talked to him personally, he claimed that he had trusted Christ, that he, would, that he felt like his sins had been forgiven. Now, the problem is the closer he got to dying, um, when I would talk to him about it, it, it turned into, well, I hope so. I hope I'm going to be okay. I hope I'm going to go to heaven. I'm, I'm sure, and I, and I, so I would try to say, well, you profess that you believe Christ is your Savior. So based on the Bible and what God has said, if you believe Christ is your Savior, then you're saved. Then you're, you're going to be with God because there is no other way to be saved. Um, but, you know, I'm, I can't. Guarantee. I can't make people. I'm not the. I'm not some kind of Catholic priest. I'm going to try to assure you of something. But the Bible does that. But what I what I'm trying to point out is that I talked to his wife about these things, and she even said, "Well, you know, he is, he's a new believer." And I said, "That's true." And then I'm reading this in the last week, week and a half, and I'm thinking, you know, we have told people. I'm guilty of this. I have told people. I mean, I, I've been with people who've led people to Christ in a, at an altar or something. 
And they'll say, don't get up here until you know for certain, beyond a doubt, that you're going to heaven when you die. And here's the thing. I don't, this is what our confession is trying to point out. Don't confuse this with faith. Assurance is not faith. Faith is faith. We can have assurance of faith, but because you doubt it doesn't mean you're lost. And I've told people that before. I'm, I'm getting guilty of saying the things I've heard other people say. Well, if you're not 100% sure, if you're 99% sure, you're 100% lost. And then we, and that's not scriptural. Because here's the thing. It, it, there's several times in scripture, at least two I know of clearly, that tell us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. To make your calling and election sure. If it was as sure, if, if it came automatically with faith, then the Bible wouldn't have to tell us that. Does that make sense? If, if it was as sure, the Bible never, ha, never has to say to us, um, well, you believed in Jesus, but now you gotta, you got to uh, constantly go back over and over again and, and ask God to make sure that you have faith in Jesus. And, or, you know, we want to strengthen our faith. In other words, when God gives us faith to believe, we believe. And, and that faith never leaves. It, as the confession points out, it might, it might shrink. It might grow. It might seem like it's lost. But you know it's, God will always come bring you back. And what they're saying with assurance sometimes, it is something. Obviously, it is infallible in that you can't be... Uh, you can't be deceived if you, if God gives you assurance. It's assurance because it's infallible and it's founded on the blood and righteousness of Christ for building the gospel. However, it's not automatic, and everybody don't have it. And sometimes I think people claim to have it that don't have it. But the point is, and what I'm saying for me personally in in speaking this weekend. I really felt like when I, when I started reading this this week, I'm like, oh, well, this, is, this is what I need to talk about. Because here's a man who was not born again very long. If he is, I don't know if he was. But he didn't have assurance because he'd never been discipled. You know, he never sat under the ordinary means of grace. He didn't get to sit under the preached word of God. He didn't get to sit and sing the songs of the faith with the redeemed people. He didn't get to have communion with the believers where God continues to pour out his grace on us. And so he missed, and I think it might be a good time to talk about that. That's the thing that we, is, is church essential to salvation? I, be, I believe so. I believe, along with Calvin, there is no Christianity apart from the church. Now you say, wait a minute, you, you mean people can't get saved out there? Yes, what I'm saying is salvation, the whole act of God saving his people, not justification, but I believe that salvation and the whole beauty of it and the whole growth of it and the whole assurance of it and all that comes from the church, from being gathered. You know, there's just something supernatural about the people of God being together, hearing the preached word together, singing together, loving on each other, praying together, all the all the ordinary means of grace. And I've I've so wanted to put this together for so long and now it's, it's even it's coming together for me. Why do I believe church is important? Because this is this is where we get assurance. And and like we've pointed out, you might be struggling and not have assurance and come to church and gather with the people of God and you might not can even sing, but 
being with the people of God and the supernatural act of God among his people in the means of grace, he reassures you. And it's not anything that you can point out, maybe. It's not even something you could write in a book. But you go away knowing, if I die on my way home, I'm going to be with God. I don't even know why. But I know because of Christ, I'm going to be with God. And that may shrink again. But I think that's what they're pointing out here. Hey, everybody don't come, everybody don't get saved and have this assurance. Now John points out, you can't, these things I've written to you that you might believe. That Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, that you might know that He's the Christ, right? First John five thirteen, is that what it says? But I love that. He points out, these things I've written to you. So you get that assurance from the Word of God. Now there's a lot of, uh, let me go ahead and read this and then we'll look at some of these passages. Um, now you see there they put in italics, always fully experienced alongside faith to try to help clarify it um, in that first sentence. But true believers may wait a long time, struggle with many difficulties before obtaining it. Yet with the enabling of the Spirit to know things freely given to them by God, they may attain this assurance using ordinary means appropriately without any extraordinary revelation. And there again, where's the church made a mistake? It's almost like telling people, well, if you'll just, if you'll pray harder, if you'll do, if you'll just listen to what I'm saying, really believe now, really believe this time, then you'll be assured. You'll know for sure. And we might finally agree with the preacher and just tell him, yeah, I really do. I got assurance. I know now because we, we don't know what else to say. But the truth is, this, is, this comes to us through ordinary means. It's not some extraordinary zap of lightning. It is the regular, ordinary means, which is prayer, preaching, communion, singing, those things where God pours out His grace upon us. And, and that's the thing. I hate, that, I hate that we have told people, made people doubt their salvation use the doctrine of assurance to cause them to doubt rather than use the doctrine of assurance to bring assurance. Yeah. Isn't that odd that we've done that? I mean, I've been a part of that. I've been a part of rebaptizing people because we've made them doubt their salvation in assurance. We've said those things like, you're not 99% sure and you're 100% lost. And that's, that's such an, that's not scriptural. Because, and I love that our, our forefathers in the Baptist faith here they go to great lengths, not in this chapter only, but in other chapters, to point out there are going to be days of doubt, there are going to be times of difficulty, there are going to be storms, there are going to be temptations, sins, things that cause us to do just like the disciples who were living with Jesus on earth did and doubt him and turn away and think there's a better way, whatever it is. But that shouldn't cause us to doubt God or to doubt our faith. It should just cause us to run to him for assurance. I think that's a better, much better view of it. So he goes on, it goes on to say, therefore it is the duty of all to be as diligent as possible to make their calling and election sure. And that's the passage from Peter they're kind of pulling out. In this way, their hearts may be enlarged in peace and joy in the Holy Spirit in love and thankfulness to God and in strength and cheerfulness in the duties of obedience. These effects are the natural fruits of this assurance. Thus, it does not at all encourage believers to be negligent. And I remind you again, they're fighting against some stuff. 
They're fighting against the people who are saying, well, you reformers, you guys coming out of this reform background and and this Calvinism, of course, they wouldn't have called it all that in the 1600s, but it was fresh out of the Reformation. Well, you're just going to give people a license to sin and live however they want to. And they're pointing out, no, it does not encourage believers to be negligent. In fact, the Bible is very clear. Make your calling and election sure. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It does not allow us to sit around and live how we want to apart from what God's Word says. And, and that's why they're pointing that out. Um, I thought they had some... Uh, they didn't put that passage in there, but I know it's... Is it Second Peter? I don't know. It's not on here. Does anybody know that passage? I'll find it here in a second. With a concordance. If I'll bring a computer, I can cheat. God, I can't die it though. There it is. Suck it heard me talking. Second Peter two, Second Peter one ten. I'm sorry. Second Peter one ten. He's talking about um, he's talking about adding things to your give diligence, add to your faith. I mean, this is the call of Scripture. You, you know what people fail to see about the reformers is what they wanted was the Bible. And when you look at the Bible, you can't say, oh, now, y'all go live how you want to until you come back next week and we'll talk about God. But until then, who cares? Because you're saved. No. Look, this is Peter saying, hey, give diligence. Add to your faith virtue and virtue knowledge to knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make... You, I'm, I'm reading the King James. They make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his sins. See, he's talking about assurance now. If you're moving away from, if you're not doing these things, then what assurance do you have? And it's not saying start doing some stuff so people will look at it and say, oh, there's a Christian. No, I think this is, hey, if you don't have assurance, it's because you're the sin in your life and the way you're living. Start living this way, and God will start adding assurance. Now, again, we can't live this way perfectly. We're going to fail even when we try to do brotherly kindness and brotherly uh, and kindness and charity and these things. But as we do these things, God brings assurance. Because, again, we talked about this before. We find ourselves doing things we never wanted to do before and refraining from things we used to want to do all the time. And those things are the, those are other ways that God brings assurance. And he gets going finally to verse 10. Wherefore, uh, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. And he's talking about, of course, not falling away from God, completely away from grace or anything like that, but falling into temptation and peril. See, well, I'm going to switch this to ESV in case I read anything else. 
It's been a while since I read the King James. I used to, I almost memorized all scripture I memorized in the New King James and the King James. So sometimes I still quote a lot of stuff that way. Ah, where else are we here? Um, oh. Get back to that. Okay. So, um, anybody want to say anything about that? I think it's interesting what you were saying that uh, about people having doubts and I've always used the the, experience, the uh, um, example of First John that First John was basically written because they were having doubts and to, to yeah. John says I wrote these things to you so that you can know that you have eternal life, eternal life. Mm-hmm. so I mean there's a whole letter of the gospel about that Right. It, it should show that you, doubts are possible right and and even if it's just um, even if it's just you just don't I don't want to use the word feeling because our feelings are so wishy washy anyways but you know just just that assurance like it, it points out um, how does it say it it is it enlarges your heart in peace and joy in the Holy Spirit in love and thankfulness to God. I mean, it's amazing when when I see patients who have assurance to listen to them talk about dying. It's amazing. When I listen to Lady Day, she's got lung cancer, all kinds of other issues. And she said, you know, I, I know a lot of people um, question God in times like these. And she said, I don't really, I don't ever say why me. She said, I just figure this is God's plan for my life somehow, and it's just going to be what it's going to be. And I'm going to live as much as I can until then. And I thought, man, I mean, that's assurance that you can't, that has, to me, that has to come from the Holy Spirit. For you to be able to lay there knowing, I mean, you've been given a six-month diagnosis if you're on hospice, that there's a good chance you won't be here in six months. Now, sometimes people outlive that. But still, a lot of people are angry, which is understandable. A lot of people are don't understand, which is understandable. People have got all kinds of questions, but then I see people with this kind of this insure, this assurance that you know. And I try to talk to me. I mean, is your so your faith is good, still solid. I mean, you're not questioning. No, I mean, I don't have anything to question. This is just where I am, and it could be anybody, but it's me. Which I'm, you know, even in myself thinking. Man, I'd probably be angry right now. <laughs> I'd be very angry, you know, wondering why. I mean, I'm which this lady's older than me, but she's not old, old, whatever that means anymore. But um, anyways, when you see that peace and joy and, and thankfulness, even um, that's that's what assurance is, you know, that um, and cheerfulness in the duties of obedience, so that when you are obeying. It's cheerfully, because that's the way God makes us. He loves a cheerful giver. Well, who's a cheerful giver? The one that God has blessed us and given us a desire to be be givers, and then you give cheerfully. 
All right, anything else before we move to the next section? Yes, it's kind of scary for people to die because nobody's died and come back to Jesus. Right. And so <clears throat> the peace that we get as a Christian, knowing that when we close our eyes in death, we're, we're going to wake up and it's going to be very calm. Yes. Instead of terrified, oh, I don't know where it's yeah. around the corner. Well, I've we heard. Know what's around the corner after we go through right. death. And I've heard people speak of dying grace, and I think that's a real thing. I think the people of God, the closer they get to death, that God really does give them even like visions of people and things that, you know, you just don't, you can't argue with people when they're laying there and talking about who they're seeing and stuff. Just, you don't mess with it, you know. I'm like, I don't know, I haven't been there. I'm not going to, but, but it's like it is a dying a grace that, the closer they get, the worse, the better they are instead of worse. You know, I just thought about this. I think I was reading something today from a, a friend of mine about, you know, God doing all these, why, I call it magical, but they, they call it um, miracles. But, I mean, just stuff I don't understand, like people praying with somebody and they fall over and pass out and all this stuff, which, you know, I always think falling backwards is not biblical. Everybody that fell around Jesus I always fell forward but um, but I think you know this is I think this is what people are longing for why does why do people want to see miracles and see all this wild stuff I think they're wanting assurance then I know but what they're missing is you'll get that when you are with the brothers and sisters in Christ and under the ordinary means I love what I listen to this podcast I know I've mentioned it before um and right now I'm having trouble thinking of the name of it. But one of the one of the guy, the pastors on there, he always he has this little saying. He said, "This is what I tell people a lot: calm down and go to church." Yes, Theo can. Just calm down and go to church. And he's he's usually he's talking about usually new believers or especially people who are just coming to the doctrines of grace and reformed theology. And they're we we refer to them as cage stage people. Sometimes they're like. They want to convince everybody that God is sovereign and they don't understand why. Everybody can't see that. How could you be so stupid not to see what I see now but forget that just a few years back they were they were the same way? And so he says, I just have to tell people, look, calm down go to church. Because of this, go sit in the preaching, be taught, be with the people of God, pray together, take communion together, let the Holy Spirit do the work of God the way he does it best. And I think that might be, you know, maybe that's what people are longing for, to see great and awesome things because they want assurance. And it's promised to us in the Word. And like I said, there's a whole book written about that. And um, and there's other places too. Um, I, I don't know why that... No, they got Second Peter 1.10 up there in the other place. And I was thinking... Um, well here back up earlier Hebrews chapter 6 whoever wrote Hebrews he wrote we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so even the writers of the of the gospels and of the New Testament they recognized that people needed that but they didn't always have it but they desired it for people um 
I meant to give you that other passage earlier. I know it's in that list, but I didn't write it down. Usually I can remember them a little better. Uh, where's this one at? Okay, it's Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my blood, that you have always obeyed, so not now only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Just another call to us to be about God's business and there's no excuse for us not to be and we can't even use our sinfulness as an excuse well you know I'm going to mess up so you know, a lot of people do that well you know I'm a sinner well yeah I am too <laughs> we all are but it's not an excuse alright uh, let's see here where we at we'll read this last paragraph see it. what else it says true believers may, in various ways, have the assurance of their salvation shaken. We sort of already talked about this. It could be decreased or temporarily lost. Now, those are pretty powerful um, verbs. Shaken, your salvation assurance could be shaken. It could be decreased. Or it could even be temporarily lost. So here again, even if you meet a, a person who claims to be a believer, but their assurance is gone... It's not a good time to have them to question their redemption. It's a great time for them, for you to go back and, and talk to them about what their redemption is built upon. And to, be, and to be reminded, hey, this thing is founded on the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ who's never failed, never sinned. Because what people are saying, usually when their assurance is gone, is I've sinned badly, I, I fell in some temptation. I can't believe I would have ever fallen in that temptation. You know, here I am thinking I'm a Christian, and yet I'm sinful. And it, it's usually a, an issue of not being taught well. And so it's a good time to try to bring people back. And, you know, I know I mentioned this before, and I'm not the only one. I mean, I've read this a bunch of times. I've heard preachers say it a bunch of times. But one of the things that I always start when, when I've had people say, I'm just not sure anymore. Is I always say, well, here's the thing. People in hell don't even care. There's not anybody in hell who cares about that. In most part, I mean, that's my opinion, of course. I haven't interviewed anybody in hell, but... Um, and it seems like, uh, you know, we've talked about the... We've talked about Lazarus before when Jesus told about rich man Lazarus. And people say, well, what about him? Well, he never said, I wish I could go to where you are. He said, don't warn, warn my brothers that they don't come here. Can somebody give me some relief? I want some relief. He never said, forgive me. I wish I would have believed. Can you come get me and take me there? He just said, can somebody come here and do something about my torment? And Jesus said, there's a great gulf fix. I can't do it. Nobody can ever do that. And then, of course, he said, even, even if they won't believe, even if, if somebody was raised from the dead, they won't believe. Yes, which is a good reason not to trust miracles or anything to bring people to faith. Um, we got again. We should be talking about the gospel, not miracles. And so, uh, and so, I point that out. Hey, at least lot people who are not redeemed don't care what God thinks about their sin. Don't care whether they've sinned against God. You're sitting here before me, telling me you feel like you've sinned so badly that you've injured God some way in His love towards you that He's never going to accept you. 
that seems to be an indication that God has given you faith at some point or you wouldn't care. Why do you care that God why do you care that God would be upset with your sin? That's why he sent Jesus because he knew you're a sinner. And so I think that again, I'm not suggesting we should you know just assume that everybody's saved or anything like that. But I think we've for me personally I've went I know that there was a time when I went about it wrongly. Rather than thinking that the people of God could do this, have their assurance shaken or decreased or temporarily lost. Because I think we just haven't, I've never been taught about the doctrine of assurance. Have you ever been in a class or, I, I mean, I've never been preached to about the doctrine of assurance. It's always salvation. And so I'm thinking maybe this is a very important doctrine that we need to teach people. Assurance. Because it could be decreased or lost even temporarily, shaken at best. And then it says it could happen because they neglect to preserve it. And they, and they point out some pa- a passage there that was hard for me to grasp the whole to from the Song of Solomon. But just to point out a neglect of, of the love that they had. This may happen because of that or they might fall into some specific sin that wounds their consciences and grieves the spirit. It may happen through some unexpected or forceful temptation. Or when God withdraws the light of his face and allows even those who fear him to walk in darkness and to have no light. Now that's interesting. Um, you remember David's prayer when he had sinned? Oh Lord, don't don't remove your spirit from me. That's, that's probably more of what he was talking about. Not remove, like he did, well, like he, he did with um, his predecessor. You know, he removed his favor from him. I don't think he cast him into hell. In fact, it seems like the opposite is true for Saul. And I don't think David was saying, oh, Lord, don't uh, cast me into hell. I'm your child. I think he was talking about this. That you could actually be, you could actually have your assurance withdrawn. And this is the other thing we have to be careful about if we're talking with somebody about this. What if it's God who's done it? And I'm sitting here trying to convince you that of something else. And if God has withdrawn the light of his face so that even those who fear him walk in darkness and have no light for his own purposes to bring them back. We should consider that. So again, what do we do? We point people to Christ and the gospel. The doctrine of assurance is based upon the blood of Christ and his righteousness. And so it says, yet even those, even if God has done this, there is still the seed of God within them, like John talks about. You're never lacking completely the seed of God because it's in there and it's not coming out. And you're never lacking the life of faith. You're never lacking the love of Christ and the brethren, at least not completely. And you're never lacking completely the sincerity of heart or the conscience concerning your duty. And so out of these graces, through the work of the Spirit, this assurance may at the proper time be revived. But in the meantime, they're kept from utter despair through them. I just love that the confession keeps bringing this to the surface. Because as I said, 
This is not a doctrine I was ever taught. I was taught to doubt myself. If I sin, I, I doubted my salvation. I never doubted my assurance. I never was taught, hey, God, say, what God began in you, he's faithful to complete. And God is able to save to the uttermost those who are, uh, who, who are lost. And he's saving. He won't fail on his part. The problem is assurance. So let's go back and, and talk about why, why would you even be saved to begin with. And when you go back to that, and again, you encourage people and go to church and participate in a local fellowship of believers where you can receive the ordinary means of grace of prayer, preaching, and singing, and the communion, and let God restore that. See, sometimes as preachers especially, we feel like we've got to fix everything and we've got to say everything that needs to be said. Right? I gotta fix and I'm probably the worst counselor ever, but I have tried to get to a place in my life where I feel like, you know, I am a preacher, but I don't gotta fix everything right now. And I, that's why I love that saying so much. Hey, you know what? Just calm down and go to church. And and let's see what God will do through his ordinary means of grace, which he has ordained to fix all his people's issues. Right? And I think that's the doctrine of assurance. That's been so lacking. And you know what? If you quit being around it, your assurance will, your assurance might drop. <laughs> right? And so, to restore it, it's not magical. It's not no formula. And I think, and I think that when the Bible says, make your calling and election sure, and work out your salvation with fear and trembling, I would say that would be where God would have us to start. Not go out and do a bunch of stuff. Because that's our tendency. Oh yeah, did God say work out my salvation fear and trembling? I need to go help some people that are hurting. I need to go give somebody some money. I need to go find some stuff to do. No, I think what God would have us do to begin with, go find a, a place of worship and be with the people of God and let God do what he does through the ordinary means of grace. And then he'll give you something to do after that. But we tend to want to do stuff and then expect. It's like we still want to be able to impress God. And we can't. But that's what we think. Well, I've, I've messed up so bad. i got to do something to win God back. Like it's, it's an old girlfriend or something. i got to do something to get back in. got to go buy some flowers. No. I mean, that's silly when it's God. What we do is, again, there's nothing lacking in God. So we go back to what brought us to him to begin with and we we look at those things and then through that we're brought assurance because God hasn't changed nor has he moved anyways anybody want to say anything else about that or this has been so good for me I don't know if anybody else but this idea of assurance is good because I just have never thought it through. There's a, uh, a little booklet. I don't know if you've seen the, the teaching series that R.C. Sproul did. With he has, there's like ten different little booklets that he did. Oh yeah. That, that commonly asked questions mm -hmm. that, that he's had. One of them is how can I be sure I'm saved? And it goes basically step by step through First John and what John tells you. And me and a couple friends kind of went through it on, we did a Friday night Bible study, went through it, and it was, it's really good. I've suggested to anyone who is having assurance issues, because it does. I mean, it, 
That's why they wrote John was to, to show that you can know that you have yeah. eternal life. Well, it, it makes it really evident through the book. That's right. And First John is that. I mean, the whole first chapter and second chapter talk about the seed of God that's within us. And then it talks about you're going to sin, but when you do, you have an advocate with the Father. And it, it does recycle those things over and over. And um, I can't remember three and four right away, but then it starts talking about love for the brethren and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Kind of what we've been talking about, yeah. Basically the fruits of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. What shows us that we're saved, I guess, becomes evident in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. And we do want to know. And I think that's a good thing to want to know. I mean, it's, you know, and there again, God has promised assurance, but it's not automatic. And obviously we're going to struggle with it or there wouldn't be like a whole, you know, epistle written for us to be assured by. And then other places that call us to that. Very good. Well, I appreciate y'all. Appreciate y'all being so faithful to come. I tell people uh, when they ask me, I, I've said this to a few of y'all, when people ask me, and they, they always do, how's your church doing? Is it growing? And I know what they mean, like, you know, how many people are you baptizing and that kind of thing. But what I tell people now, it's like, you know, God is faithful. He's sending us a few people here and there, and that's great, families. But I say, I do believe our church is growing, but where it's growing the most is on Wednesday nights when we just eat together and fellowship together, and then we sit down like this and we just talk through these doctrines I feel like that this is the most, you know, this is among the most awesome things we do here. And I'm grateful for that. And I appreciate y'all's faithfulness because if y'all didn't come, there wouldn't be anybody to teach. So you can't disciple people that don't want to be disciples. <laughs> so. Very good. All right. Well, I'll pray and dismiss us. And then if y'all want to talk, fine. If you got to go, that's good too. Father, we love you as we've already said. And I pray that you'd help us to love you more. Um, we do pray for assurance and ask that you would build us up. Um, all of us have had times where we've doubted, where we've faltered and failed, and um, where we've just floundered around But um, for whatever reasons. But we thank you that we can always look back to Christ and who he is and what he has done to trust as we meet together every week with your people and do the things that you've called us to do that you're going to bring that assurance back to us and you're going to give us this peace of heart that was mentioned this joy that surpasses knowledge that can't even be explained but we know that it comes from you and we know that it comes from the assurance of the hope that's within us and so uh, we praise you for that and we pray for those who don't have it that you'd uh, that you would bring it to them and that they would see the need for this in Jesus' name.